0: I pray if you guys would please open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 25 verse 14. Once again, God's word for this morning is going to be Matthew 25, picking up with verse 14. And as is my custom in our fellowship, would you guys please rise with me to your feet in reverence of God's word? This does two things. It shows that you reverence God's word and it, it gets you up your feet so you won't fall asleep. It's got a twofold purpose. Matthew twenty five fourteen tells us, and this is Jesus Christ our Lord speaking, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And his lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your lord. And then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered, where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. And I went. And I hid your talent on the ground. Look there, you have What is yours? Pray with me. Our God and our Father, Lord, we stand here in awe of your presence. And reading this parable today, the parable enough would be alone. The very words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son. Father, would you give us eyes to see you today? Would you give us spiritual ears to hear everything that your word And the very words of your own son are speaking to the church, Father. Lord, we come expectant. We come excited. And Father, every time I come to your word, I expect to meet with the ever-living God. Lord, would you keep that fire burning in all of our bellies? For truly to know you is to want to know you more. And so, Lord, we come to you expectant and excited, but we come humble too, Father. Speak to us, Lord. We long to hear from you. And Lord, help me to get out of the way as your word presents itself so clearly. We ask all of these favors and blessings in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. You can be seated. It has been a big concern since I'm the guy who teaches for usually over an hour. I promised Pastor Joe and Pastor Anthony that I I wouldn't teach for more than, say, 57 minutes. (laughs) So don't worry, this won't go an hour. But but seriously, to set the stage for this sermon, we need to understand the context of this parable, where it lies in Matthew Matthew chapter 25, where it fits in contextually. You see, in, in Matthew 24... The preceding chapter, Jesus is speaking about his imminent second coming. He's talking about the close of the age. As per his disciples' request, which really must have blown their mind because he had not even gone to the cross yet. And now Jesus is talking about when he comes again. And I'm sure they're thinking, well, Lord, you're already here. When will you come again? You're already here. But as we look at Matthew 25... Jesus starts to really expound some deep spiritual truths in the form of parables. Now, if you look at the first half of Matthew 25, which is known as the parable of the ten virgins, which we're not going to look at, but you should go back and read it on your own time. That parable is calling the church to watch. If I could sum that up, and it's, it's, it's a big parable, if I could sum it up, that is what it's calling the church to do, to be ready Spiritually to be prepared and to watch. Don't get caught off guard. Don't be like the foolish virgins who are running around going, well, we have no oil for our lamps. No, the parable of the foolish virgins is teaching us to be ready, to watch. Now, conversely, on the other side of the coin, the parable of talents is calling the church to work. And before you think that I'm getting into a faith and works argument here, I'm not. We are saved how? Someone shout it out, who knows it? Through? Amen. You are saved by grace through faith, and it is a gift. Absolutely. We do not work to gain favor with God. Those who believe that, believe that in error in my opinion. That's not true. Jesus on on a certain occasion said, Those who have been forgiven much, Love much. Those who have been forgiven much. Love much. You know, before we get into the expositional side of this, when we stop and think just for a second, all of the depravity and all of the former sins that we have been forgiven of when we came to Christ, I think we would all hear from the smallest of child to the oldest adult would say, I have been forgiven Of so much. You see, we serve God because he saved us. He has called us out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. And because he's done that, we should serve joyfully. All of our work, everything that we do for Christ our Lord, should be an expression of a thankful, joyous heart. Amen? Amen. Amen. I would just like to share one little detail with you, a couple key definitions so that we can really kind of understand this parable a hair better. A talent in Jesus' day was roughly 75 to 85 pounds of precious metal. Now, what this means is this. If it was a talent of silver, 85 pounds of silver would have roughly been two to four years worth of wages. And so we're going, okay, well, that's a decent amount of money. What if it was a talent of gold? Ah, if it was a talent of gold, now catch this. It would have been 20 years worth of wages. I mean, is, is that a big stack of, of coin or what? That's a, that's a lot of gold. And I find it very interesting how we get our word talent. Today's word, today's English word, do you guys realize it comes square out of this parable, I will read this for you straight from a Webster's dictionary. If you were to look up the word talent, you get these two definitions. Talent. Definition number one. Natural aptitude or skill, as in he possessed more talent than any player on the team. Definition number two. A former weight or unit of currency used especially by the ancient Greeks and Romans. Derivative and origins, Old English, talent, taken from the Latin word, talenta, which is taken from the Greek word, talenton, which is used figuratively from the biblical allusion to the parable of talents spoken by Jesus Christ from Matthew 25, 14. That is out of a new, modern, present-day 2010 Webster's Dictionary, guys, today. If you had no idea where that word came from and you were a student and you were doing a research assignment and you read the entire definition, you would get to the bottom of that. You get to the bottom of that origins and definitions and it would tell you that that is taken squarely out of the parable spoken by Jesus Christ in Matthew 25, 14. I think that that has humongous implications for everyone who reads it and for all those who hear Every single blood-bought, redeemed Christian is talented. Amen. Amen. And you receive that talent from your maker. And I don't ever want to hear a Christian say, oh, I didn't get any talents. I was was in the bathroom when the Lord was handing talents out. It's not true. It's not true. Everyone is good at something, and you've got that from God. And so I encourage you guys, use it. God has gifted it and talented you for a reason. And you haven't received that for nothing. You've received that talent to put it to work. And we should all remember, every talent we possess is on loan from the Lord. Don't squander it, guys. Let's, let's backtrack and let's, let's kind of tear this thing apart. Matthew 25, 14 going to read verses 14 through 18. You don't need to stand again. Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them, and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two, Gain two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Now here is the basic theme of our parable. Here is what's going on. The master of a house calls together his servants. Three of them to be exact. And to one servant he gives five talents. To another servant he gives two. And to another servant he gives one. And please note this because this is germane to our storyline. This is very critical. He gave to each according to its own ability. He gave to each according to his own ability and this is this brings up for me a humongous life application. God will never call you to do something that he has not gifted you to do. I want you guys to get that. God will never call you to do something unless he has gifted you in accordance with your abilities. And so someone must be thinking, well, what does that look like? It looks like this. It would be ridiculous and out of God's character to call a man to be a pastor and not give him a teaching gift. And not give him a shepherd's heart. It's ridiculous. It would never happen. The calling and giftings of God are irrevocable. What God has gifted us for, what God has given us, that's what he wants us to do. It's as ridiculous as when I hear people say, Well, oh, I don't want to trust the Lord with all my heart, you know, because he's gonna call me to be a missionary and I have a morbid fear of jungles and spiders. <laughs> How ridiculous! Why would God do that to you? You know, we think he's some kind of horrible tyrant in the sky sometimes, you know. Unfortunately, too, too many of us have this mental image of the Lord, you know, high and lifted up. He's sitting on this golden chair and he's got a bucket of lightning bolts, and one's got your name on it. You just get out of line, Falser Just. Just one more time. Oh, that's it, you're dead. He's so not like that. The Lord is so not like that. And I hear people say that all the time. Well, I'm so afraid to trust him. Don't be afraid to trust him. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, the sovereign God, the God who created everything, ex nihilo. And that means out of nothing, out of nothing, God speaks everything into creation. And we're afraid to trust him I'm afraid to trust myself. Sometimes I'm very afraid to trust my children. I find out when they're quiet, it usually means they're doing something hideous and evil. And I find that adults are just like them. Um, I can't believe I didn't get it. Oh, shut up. We have a woman in our fellowship named Patty. She tells me, careful. Every time I say something a little edgy, she goes, careful. She can be sitting in the back of the church. I still hear her. She's like, Careful. (laughs) So I thought maybe my wife was going to chime in. Give me a patty. Careful. The truth is this God knows what he's doing, and we can trust him. Amen? Amen. 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 And so, this master, who we must realize by now is the representative, is represented by the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we see that clear tie in? You can think of Jesus as the master in this parable. It makes perfect sense. Jesus is telling it, it reveals a spiritual truth. It's okay to do that. It's not an allegorization of scriptures. You can do that. And so, this is what happened this master is going away, he's going on a journey, and he calls these servants together to be good stewards. And now it's interesting because the steward held an interesting place in the master's house. In reference to his master, he's a slave. But in reference to the other stewards, he is a master. Because he's the one slave who's been chosen and elevated to a position of prominence, to a position of management. And so the lord of this house, he expects these guys to really do something. And what happens? The one man he gives five talents to, he goes and he trades. He's faithful with the five that he has, and he gains five more. The guy who gets two talents, notice now, remember, back in your mind's eye, everyone is gifted, everyone gets talents according to their own ability. This master was wise. The other other servant, he could only be trusted with two talents, and so that's what he gives him. He gives him two he takes his two talents, he goes, and he wisely trades and gains two more. We, we can do the math here, right? Joe, Joe commented, I have a theology degree now, but I didn't do any mathematics. I know if I have five and I make five more, man, I, I doubled my profit. If I have two and I make two more, bada-bing, I double my profit. These first two servants are very, very faithful. But then we have... The last servant who's not so faithful. This goon. If D.A. Carson was here, he'd call him a twit. Look at this twit. I like D.A. Carson, I'm sorry. This last servant takes his Lord's talent and he buries it in the ground. Now I told you guys a talent was 75 to 85 pounds of silver or gold. He wasn't. He wasn't physically unable to dig a hole big enough to bury 75 to 85 pounds of gold. What's his excuse? He can't claim he has a bad back. He he digs a big hole and buries his Lord's money. To take that thing which you have been entrusted with and to bury. Oh, how foolish. We're going to see how it plays out. Let's go on to verse 19. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And he who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And so we see after a long period of time, and we don't know how long that was. Four months, four years, four decades. We're not sure. Jesus leaves it ambiguous, I believe, on purpose. And so after a long period, the master of the house returns and he calls together his three servants that he may settle accounts with them. And the first servant comes up and says, Lord, the five talents you have given me, I have used and gained five more. The second the second servant comes up and said, Lord, the two talents that you have given me, I have been faithful with them and I have received two more. And it is their joy to bring back to their Lord and master his own goods plus what they have gained. And both servants, even though one had been entrusted with more than the second, are equally faithful and they hear the exact same accommodating words from the Lord. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. If only I had a quarter for every time I heard a brother or a sister pray that in a prayer or, or bring it up in a Bible study, I'd have a lot of quarters. That's my point. I'd have so many quarters, I'd have to go to the bank and get some of those roller things. Then I'd have friends come over and we'd have to like a quarter rolling party. But you know, there's no trick. And there's no smoke and mirrors to hearing the Lord say one day unto us all, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. You know what the one prerequisite is, guys? I'm going to let you in on this. It's to be a good and faithful servant with what the master has entrusted to your care. That's it. I mean, I know that's blowing someone's mind somewhere, and it could be a little bit mind-blowing, but we only need to do what he's calling us to do. And if we read the word of God, which is so clear, it's not confusing, it's not convoluted. It is the heart of God for his people. For Jesus clearly, clearly stated, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. True? Amen. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Brothers and sisters, have you realized that we have here the heart of God? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That that applies to God. The B-I-B-L-E, that's your basic instructions before leaving earth. And it's the only instruction book that I recommend people read if you're only going to read one. If you're only going to read one book, read the Bible. Because that is God's heart for lost humanity. And it is so clear. You see, these first two servants, they really got it. I don't think they they were stressing and striving. I think they were just faithful. What their master left in their care. And both of them, in accordance to their faithfulness, hear the same thing. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. There's no, tr- there's no trick to this, guys. We need to be faithful to whatever God is calling us to do. And you know what? I look out there, and I know, I know a, a lot of you. And, and I don't know a lot of you, and I look forward to getting to know you. But of those here whom I know, I know some of you guys are talented. I mean, one lady was singing in the back, man. she got pipes. Who was that? Ow! That's all I can say. I'll comment later. That's a talent. I know some of you guys are talented musicians. I know some of you guys are talented you know, talented in the word of God and expounding. Some of you ladies. That means you could be leading ladies' Bible studies or at least getting involved. Everyone's got something. And that's the amazing thing about the body, is it not? I mean, you think of the human body. Every part of your body is so important. Man, I'm glad I woke up today with my spleen functioning. I am just glad that my spleen didn't take the day off. Or, you know, like my left foot decided, I'm not working today. I'm just going to permanently go into the pins and needle, fall asleep stage, and you can just, you know, walk like Frankenstein all day. Aren't you glad you woke up with everything functioning? You know, it's the Apostle Paul who said, the church is like a body. And that means we're all little cogs in the gears. And brothers and sisters, take this to heart and believe this. When one little cog gets all gooey and jammed up and stops spinning, it affects everything in the chain of gears. Everyone here functioning together, though, that's the body of Christ. And would to God we would come together, I believe we would see the Church of America change the face of America. But personal revival begins with you and with me. And if you want to see it happen, go home, get out a piece of chalk, make a big circle, stand in the center of it with your family and say, Lord Jesus, bring revival to everything in this circle. And you will see things change. Be like the first and second servant. Whatever God has entrusted you with, be faithful and wise with. There's so many things to do, so many ways to get involved, so many ways. Brothers and sisters, what I'm, what I'm pleading to you with the heart of a pastor is, don't bury your talent because we're going to move on now to verse 24 and we're going to see how it goes. This is the conclusion of this parable. Let's look at it together. Verse 24, and then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you not have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. And I went and I hit, I hit your talent in the ground. Look, there, you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him, and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of Teeth. I know that is a rough patch of scripture. And I pray it's one that we all take to heart. Jesus is, Jesus is giving this parable to who? His disciples are there. They're included. These are men who were following him. Men who said, Lord, I've given up everything to follow you. You got to love Peter. He's big mouth Peter, man. Me and Peter are going to talk in heaven for eons after all the other big mouths get out of the way because there's going to be a line to peter i know it i can relate with peter because peter's got that open open mouth insert foot disease and then the only time he pulled that one out was to stick the other one in i'm I'm just convinced lord we left everything to follow you i would have said it if peter didn't say it someone else would have said it too This is a a sharp piece of scripture, but one we really need to take to heart. This last servant, in all honesty, proves that he's no servant at all. Upon hearing that his master is coming back to settle accounts, he goes and he digs up the talent that he had previously buried. And he brings it and he has the audacity to say, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. Wow. I know where you gather, where you have not scattered seed. And out of fear, I went and I hid your money. Here, look, look at the flippancy. Here, here, here you go. There you have, you have what's yours. Wow. Out of fear. I'm not sure if it's fear in general or fear of losing his Lord's money or fear of doing anything. But out of fear, this guy goes and he buries his talent. Fear is a horrible thing. It really is. Unless it is the fear of the Lord that that leads to wisdom. But fear in and of itself is a horrible thing. Because this is what fear does. My brothers and sisters, please catch my heart on this. Fear cripples you. Fear causes people to crawl up into the fetal position and do nothing. That's what fear does. And perfect love does what? Casts out all fear. Amen, glory, hallelujah. It casts it out. You know what the truth is? People in the body of Christ who have fear and baggage. I use that term loosely. You know why we have baggage? Do you know why we have fear? Do you know why we have spiritual depression? Catch this. It's freeing. It's because we don't check it at the cross. We carry it freely you see the Holy Spirit is such a gentleman oh he really is he won't yank it out of your hands there needs to be true humble submission and people just won't submit I am amazed how Christian after Christian after Christian I have met will not yield to the Lordship of Jesus he won't yield to him People want to proclaim he's my savior. Oh, Jesus is my savior. Oh, he's my savior. Yeah, but is he your Lord and savior? Because if he's not both, he's neither. He's Lord and savior. He is the God who saves us, and he is also the one to be obeyed. Amen. Amen. And we've got that fear and we've got that baggage and we've got all this emotional garbage in America today because we will not check it at the cross of Christ. Would to God we would just lay it down. He would heal us. If we would seek his face, he would show up and he would answer us. But if you're going to hold on to fear, if you're going to hold on to sin and shame, then you hold it in your own hand of your own strength, of your own free will. And I I really feel absolutely true that this is for someone here, that this is for someone sitting here today. Look, if you've got all this baggage and fear and all this stuff, you've got to let it go today. For the love of God, let it go today. By his stripes, we are healed. And I believe that is absolutely spiritual and physical. The Lord is so wanting to take all of this garbage from us and we hold on to it. This last servant, he's the epitome of fear and what fear does. And he's the epitome of laziness. Maybe he's hoping that his Lord will get killed on the journey and then he can dig up that talent and it's all his. But no, it's inevitable. It's inevitable that master is coming back To settle accounts. Remember at the beginning of this message that when we we started, I said this this in the context of Matthew was about Jesus coming back. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus is coming back. And you know what? He's coming to settle accounts with his servants. And you know what? That's all of us. That's all of us. At this point in the sermon, as I wrap things up, I'm sure I could go in a plethora of different ways, but I don't want to. I certainly want to share with you what I believe Jesus, what Jesus was trying to instill in his disciples at this point. And I believe it's this. Not everyone who claims to be a Christian is one. I'm sorry, that's one of the clear inferences that I draw out of this thing. Not everyone who believes, who says they believe, really believes. You see, real Christians, and I'm talking about those who have placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and honor him and serve him as Lord and Savior, serve him. That is one of the basic premises of this message. That those who have been forgiven much, love much. Jesus does not save us so that we can come to church on Sunday morning, become pew potatoes, and sing nice songs to him. As wonderful as worship was today, brother. It was touching. And I can finally say pew potatoes because you guys have them. It doesn't work in my church. That's not why Jesus saves us. He doesn't save us so we can sit around and be like, yeah, praise the Lord. Amen. God's so good. I'm going to go home now and, you know, have a BLT, sit on the couch for the next 10 hours. Then I'll go to work on Monday, get along with my mundane life, pretty much coast through the week, and and I'll come back here on Sunday morning, do the amen, glory, hallelujah thing again. I'll plaster that big, dumb, stupid Christian smile on my face. Amen, brother, how are you? Good, brother, how are you? Amen. And then I'll just go home. Maybe I'll have a roast beef today, sit on the couch and click the channel. I'll go surf the web for a couple hours. That is not why Jesus saves us. That is not why the Lord gives us gifts and talents. No, no. I know that's how like more than three quarters of America lives, but that is not what the body of Christ should look like. We should be alive and on fire for our Lord and Savior, spreading the good news of Christ. And so many people haven't heard that. They've heard some convoluted story about Christians, and they get all fearful, and they don't want to talk to us, but just to say, do you realize that you can be forgiven, redeemed, cleansed of every unrighteous, horrible, sinful thing you've ever done, and come to know the living God? Just ask someone that next time. You run into someone as a non just look at them dead in the eyes, just sit them down for a second and say, are you happy? And when they tell you, yeah, then you look at him again and you go, are you really happy? Are you satisfied? You, could, you see, that's the beautiful thing about knowing Christ Jesus. It is to be reconciled back to God. To be in a right, restored relationship with the creator of this universe. To know God. To walk with him intimately. Day by day. You see, you present the gospel like that. And if someone says no thanks, move on. It's not our place whether people get saved or not get saved. It is our place to share the gospel. It's our our job to share the gospel. And the truth of the matter is, those who really love the Lord Jesus, those who know him intimately, serve him intimately. Listen to James 2.14. James 2.14 tells us, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart, be in peace, be warm and filled but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Now, it's true, this little diatribe that James goes into is very... Often misunderstood by many different people. And it's true. We said it before. It's true. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2.8 that we are saved by grace through faith. But then other people will say, well, no, 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 no. You're not saved by faith. No, you're not saved by grace. You're saved by works because James 2.14 clearly goes into a big passage. And that's not true. That's not true at all. You see, this is the difference. Paul is speaking about saving faith. For the first time, coming to the Lord Jesus Christ and placing your faith in him. And I'm telling you, salvation is a once and for all deal. I don't believe in the born again, born again scenario. I lost my salvation, I got born again. I got born again again last week because I lost my salvation. Look, your salvation is not like your car keys or the TV remote. You just can't lose it like that. It just doesn't work. Salvation is a one-time gig. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you are saved and the Holy Spirit of God comes to reside in you. That's it. That's salvation. And Paul is saying, look, that that saving act, that is by God's grace. That is the unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor of God Almighty upon you, a sinner. Oh, and it's grace, baby. That's grace. And that is accessed by faith in Jesus Christ. And what James is saying is that the truth of saving faith is service. Once you have been saved by grace through faith... You will show that you are truly converted by serving the Lord who saved you. Those two passages complement each other so wonderfully well. There's no contradiction there. There's none. And you know, the life application is this. The Christian life should be a fruitful life. Amen? Jesus so clearly said, you know a good tree? By its good fruit. And look, a good tree doesn't bear bad fruit. And a bad tree, it doesn't bear good fruit. You will know them by their fruit. And that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being a fruitful Christian. The real mark of true conversion, it's change. It's change. If you are truly converted, you are truly changed. And the truth of the matter is if you are the exact same person you were before you knew the Lord Jesus Christ, then maybe you don't know him. Perhaps it would be a good thing to go look at 2 Corinthians 13, 5, where the Apostle Paul says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith or not. Test yourself. It's a good thing. And you know, complacency can happen to anyone. Any true Christian can become, can become stagnant and just, you know, not doing anything and just completely uninvolved. And you know what? The truth is no real lover of Jesus should stay there. Now I know it. Complacency. If you're looking for a definition, it's that, that humdrum feeling, that, that smug inner feeling of, well, someone else will do it. Someone will get to it. You don't, don't worry, someone will do it. You know, the problem is complacency, it, it, it only logically leads to laziness. That's where it leads. And the truth of the matter is this. Complacency is a slow fade. No one wakes up one morning and says, you know what? I'm going to become a human slug. I'm not going to do anything. Everyone's going to bear my burden. Everyone's going to drag me around. I'm just, I'm just not going to do anything. It's just not me. Nobody wakes up. Nobody does that. That's because complacency is a slow fade. I I want you guys to participate with me in an exercise. Say it with me. Complacency is a slow fade. Again, complacency is a slow fade. Uno mas. One more. All right, now you guys all know it. No one should be complacent here. See, that's why I made you say it. The truth of the matter is this, and I'll tell you this because I know Pastor Anthony and I know Pastor Joe intimately. They are friends, close, personal friends. Joe and I are accountability partners. So if you have a problem with him, you have a problem with me, which means if if anyone in New Brunswick has a problem with me, they got a problem with you. I like that. That's tight. So when the emails come in on your site, deal with them. Sorry, Joe, you have to deal with them. I'm going to tell you something that they won't tell you. The reason they won't tell you is because they are wonderful, gentle, loving men of God. And me, I'm just a guest speaker. Worst you can do is ask me to never come back again. (laughs) Or send me hate mail. So what? I'm telling you this much, guys. This is a big building. And I'm not talking about this structure. I'm not talking about where we are right here. I'm talking in in works of service. God has blessed this congregation richly. Would you guys say that? Is that true? Amen? Amen. He has has blessed you, correct? You guys are blessed. But if this place would come together, and this is my point, if Calvary Chapel Crossfields would come together and function as a well-oiled machine, you guys could reach the community of Jamesburg. I'm talking about touching lives, seeing people changed for good, converted, brought into the presence of the ever-living God, coming to know Jesus in a real way. This place could be a hub of ministry. And I'm excited for you. But there's work to be done, guys. Not in the the pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, you know, march to the tune of good Christian soldier onward, onward. Not, Not like that. I'm talking about serving out of the abundance of a thankful heart. Just saying, Lord, you saved us. Father God, you saved me. What can I give back? Remember, it was a joy for those good servants to just give back their talents. They lay them back at the Lord's feet. Lord, this is yours. This is yours. And Jesus is coming back to settle accounts with us. Brothers and sisters, please, please, I admonish you and I encourage you, don't be like the wicked, slothful third servant. Don't take your talent, dig a hole, and bury it. Don't do it. It can happen happen to the best of us if we get complacent. And you know how you get complacent? A couple things, a couple things we close down. Number one reason people get complacent is they get comfortable. Perhaps a little too comfortable. And once we get too comfortable, you know what? We stop reading the word. Eh, I'll put a teaching tape on. Eh, do I really got to get into the word? Yeah, get into the word, guys. As you get into the word, the word gets into you. And when your heart is full of the word, that's what you speak of. As King David said, oh, Lord, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word, the word, the word. I can't, I could say it a thousand more times and it, it wouldn't ring true enough. The word of God, we need to be in it every day. Get into the word. Prayer. Do I really need to pray? Yes, you do really need to pray. Here's a mind blower for you. And this one has, has, this one has had me living in a, in a perpetual state of blown-mindedness ever since I was like 13 and I came across the scripture. The scripture that says, Before my lips utter speech, you know what I will say. Wow. Do you know that God the Father knows everything you're going to pray? I mean everything. Before your lips even utter speech, before that first Lord help me comes out, he knows it's coming. But here's the shocker he still wants to hear from us. Oh, that blows my mind. And it humbles my heart that the God of all creation would want to hear from me. I'm a speck on a speck and a speck. Just down here on planet Earth, man, I'm on like one little dot. And the God of all creation, he wants to commune with me. And prayer is so important, guys to set your heart in prayer. It is the late C.S. Lewis who said, I do not pray to change God, but I know through all of my prayer, he is changing me. Prayer is so important. And last but certainly not least is fellowship. And I'm talking about real fellowship, not calling five guys over to watch the Giants and eat nachos let not that Christians are so far out there on that one, man. And I will quote John MacArthur. John MacArthur said, Fellowship is the duty of every blood-bought believer to furtherly encourage and admonish other Christians to grow closer to Christ their Lord. I'm not going to say it again, because I don't think I could quote it good twice. That is what fellowship is. Now, if you're having a football game and people come over and during halftime, you break the word of God out and you start getting into it, boom, now it's fellowship. If you lean over and say, hey, Bob, how's your prayer life? And Bob opens up and, you know, it's really crummy. Can you pray for me? Now it's fellowship. It's fellowship when we enter into the things of God. That's when it becomes fellowship. Not just a bunch of, you know, Christians together. You know, I, I ran into two Christians at ShopRite the other day. Did we have fellowship? Well, we had fellowship because we're believers, but we didn't have fellowship in the biblical aspect. We didn't break open the word and start a Bible study in the middle of ShopRite, but that would be cool. Real fellowship is coming together and encouraging one another to grow more with Christ. That is what fellowship looks like. And I always tell people, it's the, the triunity of a, of a mark of a, of a healthy man or woman of God. The word of God... Prayer and fellowship. It's like a seed that is placed into good soil and it gets plenty of rain and plenty of sun. We need it. We need to be in God's word that we might know him more, that he might speak to our hearts and change us. We need to be devoted to having a healthy prayer life that we might hear from the creator who loves us, who gave himself for us. And then we need to come together as a body and we need to encourage one another. I tell people at my fellowship all the time, I need you guys to encourage me as much as I encourage you. I encourage you from the scriptures, from the holy word of God. But I need you guys to encourage me through your lives. What is God doing? Tell me. Share it with me. We need that. We need to encourage one another. And so as I close out here today, the question, the question really remains, what are you going to do with the talent that God has given you? Reflect upon it today. Please reflect upon it. And I didn't come here to condemn anyone. I wanted this to be a, marriage, this a message of encouragement. God hammered this message into my heart when Joe asked me to teach over a month ago. I just couldn't get away from the parable of the talent. I finally went, okay, Lord, I got it. This is for them. This is not a message of condemnation. I did not come here to squelch you or hurt your feelings. I came here to admonish you with a pastor's heart. Get involved. The leadership here at Crossfields can't do ministry alone. They can't do it alone, guys. The number one reason pastors burn out is because congregations get complacent and they get inactive. And then the pastors are running around like chickens with their heads cut off. Man, I got to go here. I got to go there. I got to do this. I got to do that. And then finally they melt down cuz no one can do that. No man, no mere man can do that. And I know you guys. I know guys and gals out there. You're talented. You've got talents. If your talent is that you are a mighty prayer warrior, man, I, Pastor Jay, I can go pray for three hours. Praise God for that gift. I know people who can't pray for three minutes without, you know, hearing something outside and turning around. Then again, America largely has ADD. That, that could play into it. But I mean, whatever your talent is, there are men in this church who are willing to sharpen it. To hone your gift. Look, find Pastor Joe. Find Pastor Anthony later. Grab a ministry application. You know what pastors long to hear? I'm going to... I hope pastors long to hear this. I long to hear this. People to come up and say, how can I serve in any, any way, shape, or form? What can I do? There were men outside in the rain today showing people where to park. Those men got here early so that we could park in an orderly fashion. There are people coming early to make coffee, so that we can all have coffee. So many things happening behind the scenes that no one ever sees, or gets glory or encouragement from, and they shouldn't. We serve because we've been saved. But I admonish you from the bottom of my heart, get involved, get involved, get involved. Don't be like the third servant. Don't bury your talent. Do what the Lord Jesus Christ is calling you to do for his kingdom and for his glory. Amen? Amen. You guys stand with me for a closing word of prayer. Father God, Lord, we humbly come before you. And Father, we thank you that you have saved us. Lord, we truly thank you from the depths of our heart that you have saved us and redeemed us. And called us your own. Father, we all know. If we are honest, we all know in the depths of our heart that you've given us gifts. Father, would we get involved and use them, Lord? Whatever you're calling us to do. Father, would we do it with all of our strength. That we may take our crown someday and cast them at the feet of Jesus, your son. And proclaim, Lord, it's all for you. It's all about you. It's always been about you.